0: Greetings everyone, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are. Thank you all for being patient while I'm recovering. In the description box below, you can discover the buy me a coffee feature. If you are enjoying what you are hearing, you can buy me a coffee. I would greatly appreciate it as it helps me and the channel out. With that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For when we arise from the ashes, we are bigger brighter, better, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm and enjoy this dose of vocal melatonin entitled, More Short Scary Stories. The Figure It was a dark and stormy night. The wind howled through the trees and the rain pounded against the roof like a thousand drummers. I sat alone in my room, reading a book. Suddenly the power went out, plunging the entire house into darkness. I stumbled to my feet and groped my way to the window hoping to see some sign of life outside. But, as I peered out into the night, I saw something that made my blood run cold. A figure was standing in the front yard, staring up at my window. As I watched in horror, the figure began to move towards the house. I tried to scream but my throat was dry and choked. I stumbled backwards, trying to get away from the window, but my foot caught on the rug and I fell to the floor. And then I heard it, a low guttural growl coming from somewhere deep within the house. It seemed to be getting closer and closer moving through the darkness like a hunting animal. I scrambled to my feet and stumbled towards the door, but it was locked. I turned, looking for some other way out, but there was none, and then I saw the figure, standing at the end of the hallway, its eyes glowing in the dark, With a scream, I turned and ran towards the window, hurling myself through the glass and falling out into the night. The figure followed me, moving impossibly fast, its breath hot on my neck. Just as it was about to sink its teeth into me, I woke up, gasping for air. It had all been a dream. Or so I thought. I looked out the window. I saw a pair of glowing eyes staring back at me. And I knew that the nightmare was far from over. This next story the author wrote dedicated to his brother, who he sadly lost, to the horrors of addiction. A Darker Way The darkness holds a madness we all know its name. It creeps and crawls and closer draws and carries endless shame. You can hear it calling when grief and pain prevail. It looks for you when you're through and your heart begins to fail. It whispers when you're sleeping and shouts when you're awake. It seeps its way inside you until your first mistake. And when it finds you standing upon that lonely ledge, its hand you'll hold ever cold as it walks you off the edge. And it's only when you're falling with nowhere left to go. It takes your face, it takes your name, and darker does it grow. Softly does it place you upon that killing ground. With shattered hopes and dying dreams, your soul is truly bound. It'll slide its silky fingers up and down your spine, and when the tenor of a beast it tells you, now you're mine. When the darkness calling, so sweetly to your heart, you pull it even closer and promise not to part. For now you are together, and together you shall stay. As the madness guides you down a darker way. A promise of peace. A bitter chill consumed Jonah's bedroom. He sat up in bed, chest still aching from the crash, to see a cloaked man with a scythe who could only be death. Oddly, he felt calm. Jonah Michael Koch. this morning you were in a car accident, because the universe bends in ways you can't understand. You lived. It was your destiny to die in that crash. Is that why you're here? To finish the job? I cannot harm the living. I only act as a guide. I am here with an offer. Walk with me. Bodily. To the other side. Leave this living world behind. I cannot tell you what death will hold for you, but I can promise it will bring you peace. I'm 17. I don't want to die. The choice is yours. I cannot force you. I will only make this offer once. What's the catch? Huh? If I choose to live, the universe has to correct itself? I'll die in some horrible way? Some final destination shit? Jonah, you have escaped your death. If you choose not to come with me... Death will never find you. Your soul will be attached to that body for all time. I won't be able to die. It is a terrible fate. I I, I won't die? Oh my god. Th- 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 that's incredible. Jonah hopped out of bed. Energy coursed through him. Never? Like, never die? If that is your choice. Uh, holy shit! I'll become the richest man in the world. With enough time, I'll be king of the world. I could travel the galaxy. I'll basically be a god. God. "'Immortal Jonah.' "'You're serious?' "'Will you accept my offer?' "'Jonah's mind boggled at the possibilities. "'Um, well, Mr. Reaper, "'you can take your offer and shove it right up your bunghole. "'It was nice seeing you, "'but I think this will be the last time we ever meet.' So, have a good life, or whatever you have. But, no thank you. I'll take eternal life over death. Goodbye. Jonah couldn't help himself. He began dancing a little, lost in his excitement. He turned to see death still standing in his room. Uh, what are you still doing here? Yours is not the only soul I must tend to here. Huh? What? The gas leak ignited, shooting shockwaves and sharpnel through the house, ripping through the walls like wet paper. Jonah's parents and sister were killed instantly in the explosion. Jonah's body was a mangled mess. His spine had been severed. His lungs and heart ripped apart by shattered wooden splinters. He couldn't move, nor could he breathe or pump blood. But he was alive. He was conscious, inside that human shell, in unbearable agony. The rescue crew would retrieve all the bodies, and the Kosh family would all be buried in the same cemetery. Jonah would spend all eternity in a dark, cramped coffin, buried six feet deep, unable to move, but fully alive, his soul permanently fixed to his despairing conscious mind. Man in the Sack. Angel opens her story by explaining her humble beginnings as a trash scavenger with her father. We were raised by our father through scavenging trash. I'm not ashamed of it. Ever since I was a kid, I knew that it was the only way for us to survive. Angel says that she would often help her father rummage through discarded items to find anything they could sell. Things like old TVs, electronics, and copper wiring would always be some of their biggest hits. However, Angel says that the most profitable times for them ...would be during tropical typhoons... ...as they would usually find a lot of... ...discarded items due to the floods. Most of the time... ...whenever we got hit by storms... ...our neighbors would bring my dad their things... ...that got destroyed and... ...pay my dad to fix them. Sometimes they would even just... ...give them to us... ...and of course... ...we'd find a lot of things swept away by the flood... One afternoon, during a particularly strong typhoon, Angel and her father stood by the banks of a river, fishing out different items that were washed away by the floods. She recalls getting some good items like broken radios, school bags, and even a fairly salvageable washing machine. Then I suddenly saw a sack floating down the river. It was a bit far from where I was standing, but I was a good swimmer, so I made a jump for it. We've gotten a lot of good stuff from sacks before. When she hit the water, Angel remembered her father shouting at her angrily, telling her to get back immediately, but... She did not listen and went straight for the floating sack. As soon as she got to it, however, she realized something was wrong. The sack was warm. It was raining and the water was cold, but the sack was warm and a foul stench was seeping out of it. Before she could react, She says that a man suddenly burst out of the sack and grabbed her. Its arms were warm and slimy, with strands of its hair falling over Angel's face. Angel panicked as it grappled her wrist and torso as she began to sink. I struggled so hard, I had no more breath and I really thought I was going to drown but I suddenly felt my dad's hand, and he pulled me out. Angel remembers not crying at all, despite her near-death experience. What she does remember is her father hugging her tightly as she watched what looked like a person pop out of the water, stand over the water, hyacinths, grab a sack, and pulled it over itself. ...before jumping back into the river and being swept away by the current. God forgives sinners. I felt so guilty about last night. Mom and I had another huge fight. But this time... I feel like I said too much, I didn't really mean what I said. I was just angry cause she's trying to control me again. I tried talking to her this morning but she's still ignoring me. I went to the church to clear my mind. I felt like I need to talk to God because I disobeyed his words. Luckily, the priest sat close to me. I approached him in hopes of clearing this guilt that I'm feeling. Father, may, may, may I speak to you? I could barely speak, but thankfully words still came out. What is it, child? The priest's voice felt so warm and welcoming. It made me feel much more at ease to talk to him. I'm afraid that I have sinned against my mother. Last night, we had a huge fight. I feel so guilty about what I said and did, but I couldn't take back everything. What's done is done. I don't know how I could ever make it up to her. The priest had a bit of a laugh before talking back. (laughs) Do not worry about it. You are young and you have a lot of things yet to know. Your parents are there to guide your path. It is okay to make a mistake, because no one is perfect. Only he is. All you have to do is go home, apologize to your mother, and give her a big hug. After all, if God can forgive those who have sinned, Then so can your mother. The priest patted me on the head before leaving. His words gave me hope and understanding about my actions. Without breaking a sweat, I rushed back home and greeted my mother. I can see her in the kitchen, but I was still too shy to approach her, so I apologized from the living room. Mom, I'm so sorry for what I did. I just felt like you were being so obsessive about my life. And I feel like you were trying to control me. I didn't mean the things that I said and did last night. I. I hope you can forgive me. I mustered up the courage to speak while trying to prevent my tears from falling. I waited for a moment to hear what my mother had to say. Silent. Nothing but silence. She just remained lying down on the kitchen with the same expressionless face like last night. I couldn't help but just cry. My mother wasn't talking to me anymore. I approached her slowly and bent over to kiss her pale, cold forehead. My emotions got the best of me, so I rushed back into my room. I just thought that maybe she's still mad today. I'll try apologizing again tomorrow. I got a great feeling about tomorrow. I'll just let her cool off for today. After all, If God forgives sinners, then my mother isn't an exception to not forgive me. The Pitcher It was the Kool-Aid pitcher. Such a simple thing, really. All she had wanted was something to drink, to sit down for a few moments, have something cool to drink and get back to her chores. It could have been so many things. It could have been the trash can, the one that only seemed full when she needed to throw something away. It could have been the sink, the one that was always full of dishes even when she hadn't been in the kitchen for hours. It could have been the laundry hamper, the one she emptied only the night before, that beyond belief now sits overflowing. Oh, it could have been so many things, but no, it was the pitcher. She hums to herself in the kitchen, as she prepares the carrot cake muffins, feeding the white roots into the food processor. She had almost forgotten what it was like to bake in a quiet house with no interruptions. She smiles and laughs, a delighted and joyful sound that echoes through the nearly empty kitchen, the empty sink, and carries out to the empty laundry hamper by the laundry room door. She resists the urge to lick the spoon as she fills the muffin cups with the last of the batter. A little tisk tisk to herself as she works. Sitting and waiting in the living room for the cook timer to ding, she sighs. So much to do. That floor is definitely going to need cleaning. Later, definitely later, and picks up the book she hasn't opened in ages. Dozens of muffins sitting ready to go. Two chapters of her book finished. She'd almost forgotten how easy things could be. Carefully, she writes the allergen card with all the ingredients for the neighborhood party. Below the ingredients, she writes in flowing script, made with foraged ingredients. A stranger wouldn't notice anything amiss in her smile, had her family been present to see. They might have noticed a certain maniacal gleam to the smile. But then, that had been there for so long it might have gone unnoticed. Cleaning up the last of the dishes from baking and singing a little tune, having forgotten the last time she sang as she worked, she carries the muffins out. She knows she'll be asked where her family is. That's okay. She's ready. We've all been very busy. They're simply in pieces. (laughs) She laughs at her own joke and continues on her way. The Runner. 4 minutes and 50 seconds per kilometer. Heart rate at 137 beats per minute. I ran along my familiar path for my regular 12K run. Distance, 11 kilometers. Time, 53 minutes, 10 seconds. I was flying today. If I can just push for one more kilometer... I could break my personal. Oh no, no, not today. Not when I'm on pace for a killer time. I looked out ahead of me and saw a woman walking along my path. She was, of course, walking and not running. But still, she wore the uniform of every female on these Saturday mornings. Tight singlet yoga pants, and black runners with fluoru trim. There goes my personal best. I immediately began to prepare myself to take a wide berth around this woman. I can't have her getting frightened, screaming, or whatever else could happen if I were to startle her. As I got closer... I began to make more noise, stomping a bit harder, hoping she'd be able to hear me coming and see that I was quite far away and that I was no threat. As I began to pass her, I looked over and gave her a small wave. Bitch didn't even bother to look up. I looked at her face and there was something strange. Suddenly, just as I made my way back onto the path in front of the woman, she began to run. I was maybe 20 meters in front of her, and she ran right behind me, matching my pace exactly. I looked down at my watch. 4 minutes 30 seconds per kilometer, heart rate at 153 beats per minute. I ran some more and looked back. There she was, twenty meters behind, matching my pace. Her form was perfect, arms not crossing over, steady strides, shoulders relaxed, head looking straight ahead, straight ahead at me. I ran faster, time to leave her behind. I thought, but she kept up. I ran faster still, and yet there she was. Her form was exactly the same, but she quickened the turnover of her legs. Distance: 12 kilometers, time 57 minutes 25 seconds, heart rate 172 beats per minute. Oh no, that's my limit. I've never run further than 12 kilometers before. My legs began to tire and grow heavy. My breathing became more labored and I began to slow down. But she was not tired. Slowly, she began to gain on me. Her posture was amazing, her breathing almost not existent. She came closer as I began to lose my form. I began to slump. My legs were getting wobbly. I wanted to give up, but I had to keep running. She was only five meters behind me now. Then two meters. Then she reached out and easily dropped me to the ground. She put herself on top of me as I tried desperately to fight her off. But she was too strong, and I was too weak. I looked up into her empty, evil eyes. She smiled, her crooked, yellow teeth reeking of death. You effing men. (laughs) You effing men. The new ones. The new zombies were the scariest ones yet, because there was no way to tell them apart from us. Previous zombies had all white eyes, or shambled after you unrelentingly, or raced toward you with toothless, spittle flecked grins, or croaked out half words when trying to say their own name or kept moving even after multiple bullets to the body, or being cut into two. Not very tough to identify. The new breed, however, were problematic. They spoke normally. Their skin wasn't gray or rotting, but, rather, the same skin color it had been prior to being turned. They had normal vision, ate burgers or spaghetti, or Pringles like the rest of us, and died by typical means, losing blood, being shot nearly anywhere, brain hemorrhages, heart attacks, cancer. Some even fell in love with us and vice versa, keeping their clever cover seamlessly all the way through while starting families having grandkids right up to their supposedly natural death. It's been so many years now it's gotten almost impossible to spot them especially with all the half or quarter zombie children running around. Frankly The only way to tell them apart is to feed them a piece of human flesh disguised as a steak or meatballs or a sloppy joe and see if they eat it. Even then, if they get wind of what sort of meat you're presenting to them, they'll probably recoil in disgust. In that case, you may have to lock them in a cage. ...in a dark basement for a few weeks... ...at which point, they typically lose most speech faculties and end up screaming nonsense. Clearly, they're trying to trick us. To blend in. Mix their blood with ours. Weaken our species. If we're being honest, I actually got tricked once myself... I fell in love with one, not realizing what it was. Only years later, after Rosa, the name she gave me, left me, did I realize I'd been had. It all went to hell when I told her I probably didn't want to have children with her, just in case she was one of them. Sure enough, That's when she left me. If that's not a sign Rosa was a zombie the whole time, I don't know what is. Sometimes I still miss her, but that's probably a result of the alien saliva she got in me. Heed my warning. Stay alert. Don't get complacent like I did. If you think it couldn't happen to you... If you think you could never be tricked, that's simply because you're not looking hard enough. As for me, I'm going outside now, to take care of what no one else in this confusing world has the guts to do. See? I won't be fooled again. Late Stage Capitalism A Marlboro ad popped up on my glasses. Confused, I called out to my wife Shannon. Honey, did we pay for the ad-free subscription this month? She came down the stairs, clearly checking on her subscription checklist on her glasses. Oops, forgot that one, she said as she tapped the air in front of her. It's not auto-renewable, I still can't believe they haven't added that feature yet. I chuckled as the ad instantly disappeared from my sight. Obviously they would want to sneak an ad or two, whatever chance they get. (laughs) My wife laughed with me and gave me a kiss on the cheek. She then tapped the side of her glasses, instantly changing her appearance to have a face full of makeup, removing her unsightly, unremovable VR glasses, dressing her up in a nice skirt and shrinking her down a couple of pounds. How do I look? She asked, twirling her VR dress. Gorgeous as always, I thought. I let her know by reciprocating her kiss. I heard heavy footsteps upstairs. "Sky, no running in the morning," Shannon yelled. My 8-year-old daughter and our golden retriever, Bingo, came bounding down the stairs. She giggled as her mother gave her a stern look, adjusting Sky's glasses before placing our breakfast on the table. Three steaming bowls of gray nutrient slop. What does everyone want for breakfast today? Pancakes! Psych screamed. With extra whipped cream, please. Extra whipped cream again? Shannon sighed. Eight dollars for extra cream is ridiculous. Give the girl her whipped cream. I ruffled Skye's hair. She's been getting terrific grades at school. Skye gave her best puppy dog eyes to her mother. Fine, fine. Shannon rolled her eyes with a smile. Soon after, a plate stacked high with pancakes and whipped cream materialized in front of Skye, who squilled in delight. I'll have some eggs, Benedict, please, dear. As soon as I said it, a steaming plate of eggs appeared in front of me, and I didn't hesitate to dig in. The egg yolks were perfectly runny, and the sauce had a delicious hint of truffle. I still couldn't believe how our glasses could make the nutrient slop taste this good. My wife gave herself a small bowl of plain oatmeal, the cheapest option, as always. As we finished up our meal, my wife got up to drive our daughter to school, and I got ready for work. Just as I was about to leave the door, a notification popped up on my glasses. It was a call for my friend Lucy. I picked up the call, and her pale face and pink hair showed up on my screen. I noticed that she decorated her VR glasses with sequins and stickers. Hey, Lucy, What's up? Did the food plan not go through? Lucy was the daughter of my old friend, who died of cancer a while back. She isn't that well off, so I tried to help by giving her a nice food plan to keep her off of eating just tasteless nutrient slop. She's a grateful kid, so I'm always glad to help her in any way I can. No, no, everything is fine, Uncle Jay. Thank you again for the food plan. Her voice was tiny from her crappy microphone. I was just calling to ask if you could help me pay for a new work computer. She looked embarrassed to ask for money again. No worries. Does your work not give you a proper computer? I ask. Well, they do, but it's a 50% ad model. I would hardly get any work done if I had to watch ads half the time I'm using it. I nodded in understanding, transferring her the money with a tap of a button. Here you go, kid. Keep up the hard work. I'll pay you back, Uncle Jay. Thank you so much. I shook my head. Oh, there's no need for that, dear. Just treat me for dinner next time we meet. I joked. We both laughed, and after a few more thank yous from Lucy... I was off to work. I scrolled through the outdoor configurations on my glasses. Autumn breeze, seaside walk, space excursion, rainforest expedition. I settled for a sunrise hike. I opened my front door, greeted by the warm orange-red glow of a sunrise. Birds chirped and the air was lightly chilled as I followed a subtle arrow on the screen to the train station. I could see mountains and a giant lake in the distance. People passed by me, no doubt immersed in their own walk configurations. I took a deep breath. The smell of fresh soil and vegetation lingering in my nose. This... Is the life after an uneventful day at work I came home to see Shannon looking pale on the couch hugging bingo who was perched on her lap what's wrong honey I asked her VR makeup was still perfect through the tears streaming down her cheeks I I got a ping for my glasses today she sniffed it detects cancer in my system <laughs> stage 4 I lost all feeling in my legs stumbling to my wife we embraced and I felt her shaking with me in my arms it will be okay Shannon I whispered we, we, we have insurance we have the money to get you the medical help you need You'll be all right. Deep down, I knew that the chances were slim. Cancer was still incurable at this stage, and she was 44, only 11 years away from our natural life expectancy. In a couple hours, Shannon was transported to hospital to begin her treatment. Your platinum insurance plan should be able to cover four to five months of treatment of Miss Shannon here, the doctor said. After that, the cost will come from your own pocket. I will have you know that about five percent of patients with the same condition as your wife survive. So, if I were you, I would continue treatment for as long as possible." 5%, I thought. I wouldn't care if the chances were .1%, as long as there is a chance I would take it. A month passed and there was no change in the condition of Shannon. In fact, her health seemed to deteriorate even more. Her VR, slimming filter now made her look gaunt and malnourished and her bright smile was now a tight grimace. Skye took the news poorly, and her grades took a turn for the worse. As a punishment for failing her classes, the school has replaced her recess with ad breaks, worsening her depression. I made sure to give her pancakes with extra whipped cream in the mornings, but even that barely seemed to cheer her up. I heard about Shannon. Lucy said, her hair now a pale blue on my glasses screen. I'm so sorry to hear that, Uncle Jay. Is there anything I can do to help? I shook my head. I'm doing everything I can to help her, I said weakly. Don't worry about her, all right? Just focus on yourself. I've been doing some research on the history of cancer, she chimed. I'm a programmer, so I am quite savvy when it comes to digging up information online. I stumbled on some really old files. Apparently, back in the day, cancer was a lot rarer than it is now. She lowered her voice to a whisper. And some people say That our life expectancy used to be around 80 years. I waved her off. Don't be silly listening to those conspiracy theories. I sighed. Just look out for yourself, all right? Her concerned face stared at me sullenly as I cut off our connection. It's been five months since Shannon has been diagnosed with cancer. My insurance flaked out one month before we expected, and I had been paying for her medical fees out of pocket for two months. I huffed in frustration as another ad popped up on my glasses, obscuring my vision as I tried to work. I had discontinued my ad-free subscription a while ago and I had never realized how many ads people got. The morning where I woke up to have an ad greet my eyes first thing in the morning was not a pleasant one. Your productivity has been at an all-time low this month, my supervisor commented. I, I'm i sorry, sir. I, I had to turn off my ad-free subscription to pay for it. No excuses, Jaden. If this keeps up, you will be terminated. He adjusted his gray VR glasses, glaring at me behind the lens before walking off. I slammed my desk in anger, but none of my coworkers so much as glanced in my direction. When I arrived home that night, animal control was at my front door. ''Uh, what's this?'' I asked. One of the workers came up to me, holding a leash. ''You haven't paid your monthly pet subscription for a month. Your pet will now be kept at a shelter until you can pay the fee to return it.'' Another worker emerged from the house, carrying a sedated bingo in his arms. ''I completely forgot about the pet subscription.'' How much do I have to pay to get him back? I asked. A year's worth of subscription ought to do it, and do it quickly. Shelters are not patient and have limited space. Your dog would be bit down in a month. I fell to my knees as they drove away with bingo. Sky and I had plain oatmeal for dinner again. Her eyes were sunken and dark from crying after they took away Bingo. She hasn't been sleeping much. Hey, sport. I have just enough money for some pancakes for dinner. How does that sound? Her eyes lit up ever so slightly, and I wanted nothing more than to keep them that way no matter what the cost. I looked at my balance on my glasses $256.09 I can spare some money for the extra whipped cream. It's been seven months since Shannon's diagnosis. Bingo has been put down. Sky and I have been eating the tasteless nutrient slop in our new apartment after we had to sell our old house. I had been laid off from my old job and am now working as a garbage collector. I cannot count how many subscriptions I have that have expired. I am too afraid to look. Be safe on your way to school. I droned as I heard the door close behind Skye. I wished I could have brought her to school myself, but I had a shift in 15 minutes. I stepped out of my apartment No more walk configurations, that subscription expired long ago. Now I am greeted with harsh blinding sunlight, desert filling in the gaps between cities and absolutely unrelenting heat. I began sweeping the ground. After my shift I went to check on Shannon. The air-conditioned hospital felt incredible on my sweaty skin. A doctor greeted me by the door to a room and asked me to sit down. Sir, I recommend your wife be switched to hospice care. He said, his professional demeanor unwavering. I stared at him blankly. After all this time... After all the treatments I paid for, I choked. As I said, this treatment has only a 5% rate of success. Unfortunately, your wife was in the unlucky 95%. We will send her home with a prescription of strong painkillers, and you can make the last days of her life as comfortable as possible. I assume you still have the release fee for your wife?" I nodded weakly. And that was that. My wife was willed home to our shitty apartment. She was barely able to open her eyes and the VR filter was struggling to recognize her as a human being anymore. The embedded earphones on her glasses leaked a tiny voice. To continue your complimentary supply of painkillers, please keep your eyes focused on the center of the screen as the next ad plays. I saw next to her, holding her cold hand. I noticed the time, 8pm. Where was Sky? She should be back by now. I checked the child safety app on my glasses. I froze as it showed me that the subscription had ended yesterday. It was the only thing keeping her safe on the road to school. Ring, ring. Lucy? I thought. I accepted the call on my glasses. Hello, Mr. Jaden. This is the Children's Hospital calling to let you know that your daughter has been involved in a vehicular accident and has since passed away. Your record shows that you have paid for her release fee, so she will be dealt with accordingly. For future reference, we recommend using ChildSafe, a fantastic online service dedicated to keeping your children sick. I shut off the call, slid to the floor, and stayed there. It's been eight months since Shannon's diagnosis, and she has now passed away. It's Saturday, my day off work. I was woken by my 6 a.m. ad break before I fell asleep again, muscles sore and tired from all the physical labor I was doing under the sun yesterday. I heard another alarm, expecting the 9 a.m. ad break. I was about to go back to sleep before I realized the sky was dark and the alarm was coming from my doorbell. I opened the door to find a girl with bright green hair who hugged me tight. I almost let out a sob. It's been so long since I hugged a loved one. I scraped just enough money to afford a flight here, Lucy said with a shaky voice. I thought you'd need someone to help you out. I paid for your ad-free subscription this month. Thank you, thank you, I weakly rasped out. I just realized how long it had been since I last spoke. Lucy paid for dinner, a warm bowl of noodles and some pancakes for dessert. I inhaled the food, desperate for some flavor on my tongue. I know you might not want to hear about this right now, but... I found some information on cancer that might change everything we know." Lucy said, after we finished our food. Ugh, this again? I said, exasperated. But I decided to listen to her. I looked into historical records and things are just too coincidental to make sense. Back in the 2200's, our lifespans were long and healthy and cancer wasn't as prominent until we started to consume our nutrient slop. She pulled up the computer I had bought her a half year ago. Moreover, and this is huge, she gulped. I think they have already found a cure for cancer. She pulled up a screenshot on her computer, showing a research paper that showed exactly that. 100 years ago. After another hug, Lucy said goodbye and left. I was back alone in my pitch black apartment. I was reeling from tonight's revelation. Cancer had been cured 100 years ago, but they made such huge profits from cancer treatments that they refused to disclose it and put carcinogens in our food. ...to keep us sick. Shannon could have been cured. I wouldn't have had to lose all my money... ...giving her useless treatments that wouldn't even save her. Skye would be alive. Bingo would be alive. I would be alive. Because God knows I don't want to be alive right now. I made my way to the roof of my apartment... At least I got to see Lucy again one last time before I die. I grabbed onto the railing, looked at the barren wasteland beyond the city. Now that everything isn't hidden behind the VR illusion, I almost felt like I was freer. No longer living a lie constructed to make us spend more money just to shield us from the truth. I was about to heave my body over the edge when my glasses piped up. Please be noted that suicide is a criminal offense punishable by removal of your release fee. You will be redirected to a suicide prevention hotline. Please hold as we play a short ad. These ads keep our suicide prevention hotline running, so please don't hang up. Tired of unsightly ads? Introducing the halfway extension, which splits your screen in two, showing two ads at once. I slammed my head against the railing, screaming in rage as I tried to rip my glasses out of my head. I felt the screws straining against my skull, blood pouring out of my temples as I tore at the lenses. I felt a zap to my head than nothing. I woke up unable to move a single muscle. My glasses were fixed and they booted up the moment I opened my eyes. An infographic started playing. Welcome to the release center. You are here because you have died and have either not paid the release fee or have forfeited it by committing suicide. No worries, as the release center will eventually let you pass away peacefully after you have contributed enough to the betterment of society. Your body is now being kept alive through extensive medical technology and would be used for one of three things. Surrogacy, renewable organ harvest, and medical experimentation. You have been chosen for renewable organ harvest. Please enjoy these ads as we painlessly operate on your body. Thank you for your service. On the top left of the screen, a countdown started. 50 years, 4 months, 16 days and 23 hours. A Marlboro ad popped up on my glasses. Don't look at who's behind you. Hello, my name is Noah. There have been many things I've been called when I tell anyone this story, including crazy, sick, and delusional. No matter who I tell, no one believes me. So, I take this story to you, whoever is reading this. I've always been paranoid, that someone is watching or stalking me so I always check my surroundings. Every day I get the sense that something is watching me, even inside my own house, where I live alone. Today I got more anxious than ever, thinking I was seeing something move away from the corner of my eye, so I bought a camera system for inside my house just so whenever I panic, I can check the cameras to ease my discomfort. Tonight, I was feeling more anxious than ever. I was trying to watch a new movie on Netflix. All the lights in my house were off, with only the TV lighting up the living room. I kept seeing something or someone in the corner of my eye, but... When I kept checking, I saw nothing. I couldn't get over the fear or dread that someone might be in my house. So, I checked the cameras in my house. I skimmed through the cameras and saw nothing. But the stress and the fear kept coming. As if someone were actually in my house. I couldn't focus on anything. ...and looked behind me constantly. Quickly, I grabbed my phone again... ...with chills down my spine and my palms sweating... ...like I was in real danger to go check the cameras again. But this time, I checked them slowly in every single room. I looked through and saw nothing. When I looked through the kitchen's camera which is the room next to the living room. I thought I saw nothing. I wished I would have just put my phone down and gone back to what I was watching and minded my own business. But I saw something move in the kitchen, looking into the living room. There was this thing. Looking into the living room from the kitchen was something that I don't think is even human. It was a humanoid figure, standing at least seven feet tall, with skin that looked like it had been stretched too tight over its bones. It had no hair on its body, and its eyes were completely black, as if there wasn't a single ray of light that could penetrate them. Its arms were unnaturally long. Reaching down to its knees, and its fingers were thin and spindly, like the legs of a spider. I froze in terror, staring at the figure through the camera. It didn't move, but I could feel its piercing gaze behind me. My heart raced as I watched the creature move closer to the living room, its movements jerky and unnatural. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't tear my eyes from the screen. Suddenly, the creature's head snapped toward the camera, as if it knew it was being watched. My entire body shook with fear as I saw its twisted, grotesque face contort into a smile. Suddenly, the power went out, and the room was plunged into darkness. I scrambled to find a flashlight on my phone, but my hands were shaking so badly that I couldn't focus. I heard something moving in the kitchen. My heart was pounding in my chest as I tried to stay awake, not wanting to draw the creature's attention. But the sound grew louder, and I realized that it was coming closer. I could hear its spindly fingers tapping against the walls as it moved closer to me. I finally turned on my flashlight and pointed it to the kitchen and saw nothing, but when I looked back to the camera, the creature was there, staring directly at me as I looked at my phone while the creature tapped and dragged its fingers across the counters. Just staring at me, doing nothing. I got enough courage in my body to start running to the front door as if my life depended on it. But strangely, I didn't hear anything behind me, chasing me, but I didn't care. I opened the door and ran to my car and drove to the police station. As I arrived, I stumbled and fell into the station, panting and out of breath. The officer on the desk looked at me as if I insulted them. I told them everything, and the officer called in others and took me into a questioning room. They asked if I took any substances. For hours they questioned me and questioned my sanity. Until eventually, they let me go without doing anything. I left the police station more terrified than ever. I called my best friend, Cam, to come over. So I wouldn't need to be in the house alone. I didn't tell Cam what happened. But he doesn't think I'm a weirdo or something. But... We watched movies together and played some games. When we wanted to go to bed, I set up the couch so I could lie in it and let Cam sleep on my bed for tonight. Before I went to sleep, I checked the camera to ease my mind, but that's when I saw it again. But this time, it was in my room, under the bed that Cam was sleeping in. I froze even though I wanted to get up and get him the F out of there. I couldn't move my body. All I could do was watch as the monster's bone skinny arms slowly reached out from under the bed towards Cam. I couldn't do anything. My blood ran cold and my breathing became heavy. ...as I saw the monster reach for Cam's face. I saw as the monster quickly poked Cam's eyes out. My friend screamed in pain... ...but not for long... ...as the monster covered his mouth and pulled him under the bed. From the living room... ...I can still hear his muffled screams. When he was gone... I felt my body move out of the couch and grab a weapon and went to my room. I kicked down the door expecting to see a pool of blood and Cam gone. But all I saw was my friend awake, yelling at me. What the F are you doing? Confused, I apologized and looked around and closed the door questioning that I might be crazy, and I walked. Then, when I looked back at the camera, I realized the cameras were a few minutes delayed as I saw the monster come out of the bed. The monster started to rip its lens and skin apart, eating when it ripped them off, showing itself to look more like Cam and got into the bed before I came into the room like nothing happened. I ran out of the house and never looked back for a few weeks, just sleeping in my car until I eventually moved out, never seeing Cam again. When I tried telling people and Cam's family what happened, everyone never believed me, which is why I'm telling you this. I'm going back to the house and trying to find Cam. Goodbye. I won a sweepstakes and lost. I live the best part of my life online. It's a sign of the times we live in, I guess. There are the mundane humdrum happenings that occur in our lives offline. The boring day-to-day droll occurrences that one can usually set their watch to. And then, there's the amazing things that we are lucky enough to witness via the screen, usually glued to our hands. There's no comparison, really. Content curated by professionals who are successful enough to have millions of followers watching every video and upvoting every hilarious meme versus boring work and the stained relationship with our folks and loved ones. YouTube and social media wins that one in a landslide victory in my opinion. Candy or vegetables? My job painting apartments is menial. Lots of repetition. The only real variation is that every other apartment is mirrored opposite the ones next to it. Kitchen on the right. Bathroom on the left in this one. Bathroom on the right. Kitchen on the left in that one. Over and over again. Ad infinitum. I dip the roller in paint and apply it to a section of wall. Dip the roller, apply it to another section of wall. Over and over and over again until it's quitting time. If I finish an apartment before it's time to get off, there are plenty of others to move on to. Every. Single. Day. Six days. A week. Repetition is half of the formula to insanity, I say. One of, if not the only thing, that helps in keeping me sane is a decent signal on my phone and a single Bluetooth earbud. Having some sort of dialogue, rather that be listening to an entertaining YouTuber doing a let's play to channels that narrate creepypastas, I find it helps in the passage of time while working. It helps my mind wander while my body goes on autopilot. Thus, finding an hour-long story by one of my favorite channels that I haven't heard yet is like a gift from the content gods. One of the longest work days I can remember was the day that my earbud fell out and landed directly in my paint bucket. I cursed the universe as I watched it sink. It happened early in the day, too, so I was forced to weather the remaining six hours with nothing but my own thoughts and the sound of my paint roller smearing on the walls. I had lost the other earbud somewhere months ago, so it's not like I had a spare one charging somewhere. And by the end of the day, I resolved it by buying two brand new pairs, so if something like that ever happened again, I'd have no less than three backups. I decided to treat myself buying a cutting-edge and top-of-the-line brand. When one uses a product for most of the day, every day, It helps to buy quality, because it's not just at work that I use them. When I'm driving, washing dishes at home, or doing household chores, or just grinding out levels on a video game, there's always some audio going on in my ear. Listening to podcasts while I'm folding laundry, reviews for new games, and Movies while I'm walking the dog. Ten interesting facts about, insert topic here, while I'm eating dinner. It just helps me get through my day. And my nights too. Falling asleep listening to spooky stories has gotten me to the point where if I forget to charge my phone or earbuds and one of them dies before I fall asleep, I might as well get back up for a bit while the battery charges. It may sound weird to some people. Trying to follow a narrative while also trying to fall asleep seems like it would be counterintuitive. But just like how some people need a fan or a TV going, there are thousands of us falling asleep to a soothing voice telling a macabre tale every night probably millions, given how the technology has evolved in prior years. When I received an email saying I'd won a chance to test out the next step of that evolution, I ignored it. I hadn't signed up for any contest or sweepstakes that I was aware of. Probably just spam, I thought. When the physical letter showed up in my mail, stating the same, I took it a little bit more seriously, but eventually chalked it up to the spammers just being persistent. More junk mail. They got my email and were able to find an address that matched it. Probably not that hard to do considering how many sites I've used that email ...to sign up for over the years. I was well aware that people leave a digital footprint... ...along with a treasure trove of data... ...for advertisers and scammers alike. I always just chalked it up to the price of admission... ...as I dropped the letter in my trash bin... ...without even opening it. After a few weeks... All of my brushing off and ignoring what I thought was a scam culminated with a knock at my door. Well, hello, sir. We represent Toxicorp, and we understand that you recently purchased our product. Two pairs of our premium earbuds? The gentleman said. He was an older fellow, wearing thick Coke bottle glasses and sandals, before I could even answer, though, he went on. We've attempted to contact you via mail in regards to your most wisest of purchases. First off, we at the Toxie Corporation would like to sincerely thank you and also congratulate you. You've won our annual Novemberathon giveaway. He finished, taking an overdue and long breath. That was how I found out that it wasn't just spam. They had gotten my information when I had registered the product for the warranty and, unbeknownst to me, had thrown my name in the hat for their contest. The prizes I had to choose from included $500 cash or free Toxicorp earbuds for life, which included a free upgrade every time they put out a new product. While the cash offer was tempting, I decided that the latter offer would get me more bang for my buck. High-end earbuds, like those made by Toxicorp, weren't cheap after all. Plus, being able to upgrade and try out the latest models for free made it in my eyes, the better of the two options. I agreed and, after signing a plethora of documentation, not all of which I could understand and much less even read, he was on his way. Later that week, they contacted me via phone about my first upgrade. It turns out, while the two pairs I had recently bought were the most expensive that my local retailer had to offer. They were by far not the most expensive and functional ones that the company offered. That first upgrade was like night and day compared to the so-called top-of-the-line ones I had purchased. The sound was crisper. They had better bass a longer battery life, a further range for the Bluetooth, everything about them was superior. Then, still very much pleased with my upgraded earbuds, they contacted me about their newest pair. This pair upgraded everything, along with having noise cancelling and the ability to make phone calls via a small mic inside of the earbud and it kept going. Every month there was a new upgraded version that blew the latest one out of the water with better clarity and added functionality. My daily distractions of listening to content at work was never better. Gone were the days of bringing my phone with me from room to room as I painted. The Bluetooth had crystal-clear connectivity anywhere in the apartment. Hell, I could leave my phone charging in my car outside, and the signal would pick up through spans of parking lots and brick walls. The snug, form-fitting cushion in my ear ensured that they never fell out on accident, yet wasn't intrusive. I could go on and on singing praise for the innovation and quality that the good people at Toxicorp were doing with their whole line of audio products until that is they hit me with their latest upgrade. I should have known something was off when they asked me to come to their R&D department for the latest upgrade. All I was told was that this newest iteration was still in the experimental stage of development. Previously, they had always simply mailed the newest model straight to me. I simply chalked up this break in protocol to the fact that this one was still in the prototype stage. I had already decided that whatever it was, I wanted it. I was even excited that they decided to include me in testing whatever it was that they had cooked up. Boy, was I stupid. I arrived at their facility and was greeted by their team of engineers. They led me to a small lobby and gave me refreshments while I waited. And that was the last thing I remembered. When I woke up, I was in a recovery room with bright, fluorescent lights blinding me, and a litany of of rhythmically beeping medical machines monitoring my vitals. I felt groggy as hell, and as I reached up to feel why the side of my head was throbbing, I felt swollen flesh molding around stitches above and behind my right ear. They said that the nausea accompanied by the dizziness I felt was normal and conducive to the operation they performed in and around my inner ear. I was pissed. When my complaints and threats finally summoned the head researcher, the very same old man who had come to my door to tell me I was a winner walked into the room. What the hell? How did I get here? And what the F is all this about? Some procedure, I yelled. Did you people drug me? What kind of sick operation are you people running here? The old man merely smiled. Nothing that you didn't agree to. You gave us express permission when you signed our agreement. Like hell I did. I yelled. He produced a small remote and pointed it at me, pressing a button as I continued to yell. De James Lamo I threatened. Wait, what the hell? I had yelled that in English. I clearly said let me out of here and I'm calling my lawyer. And, I had heard the English version in my ear, but in my right ear, the ear that was throbbing and had been operated on, I heard what I assumed was some other language. The scientist seemed pleased at the utter confusion that sank into my facial features. Did you just speak gibberish? He asked, grinning from ear to ear. He had really said español. I heard it with my untainted ear, but I also heard the English translation clear as day with the other. I'll admit, even though I was still utterly pissed about the situation, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little amazed. What? What else can it do? I ask, my anger subsiding slightly. His grin grew even wider. He came closer to show me the remote. It was something akin to an old iPod-looking thing. He scrolled through a plethora of menus until he selected one labeled Enhance Audio. He then pointed it in the direction of the two nurses conversing behind the other side of a large glass viewing window on the other side of the room. As soon as the remote was pointing in their direction, I could hear them. I can't believe that prick stood you up like that girl, one said. He's a loser anyway. I heard from Jenny that he isn't even all that well endowed, (laughs) if you know what I mean. The other said, holding up her pinky finger which sent both of them into a giggling fit. Can you hear them? How clear is the audio? The old man said, pulling out a clipboard and pen seemingly from nowhere. We ran a gauntlet of tests, trying out different features and models, dialing in and fine-tuning the settings. By the time we were finished, I wasn't even all that mad anymore. I mean, I was still a little peeved. I had been tricked and drugged and operated on without my consent. I don't care what the gibberish in my contract said. I felt violated. But, after all was said and done, I couldn't help but feel like the benefits that the new implanted device offered were more than worth some shady and underhanded practices. I was kept in their facility for a couple of days for observation and more tests, compensated for my lost wages at my job, and given a prescription to fill. Something to help with the pain while my body healed. They claimed it was an astounding success leaving me to wonder what would have happened if they had failed. I went about my life checking in with them via phone once a week, which I could now call and answer by merely thinking about it, thanks to their device. I could understand hundreds of spoken languages. I could hear conversations happening through brick walls, with crystal clarity, and if it ever got too much, I could always just lower the settings, even mute certain frequencies. Despite their underhanded techniques and the violation of my own body, my rage in them had subsided and became more like a perturbed annoyance. They had drugged and operated on me without my knowing consent, sure, but I was beginning to come around. Hell, I would have even said I came out like a thief, definitely better off than I had been. Then I began having the dreams My dreams since they had installed this thing in my head had been so vivid. Dreams that seemed so real. Almost like I was awake, but not in control. Like watching yourself sleepwalk. I have vague memories and impressions when I wake up. Remnants of whatever cycles of subconscious mind rolls through when I'm out. And one, I only remember being told by some authority figure that I needed to go out to the corner store and buy a certain brand of potato chips. My socks were wet when I woke up the next morning and my blood chilled when I stepped outside only to notice that it had indeed rained the night before. When I checked my bank statement, there had been a purchase at 2:46 a.m. for the amount of $3.46 that i didn't remember hell i had been asleep at that time so i was sleepwalking along with sleep purchasing and god only knows what else they kept happening always single-mindedly compelled to complete some seemingly menial and meaningless task. I tried sleeping pills. When that didn't work, I tried caffeine pills to stay awake. When I eventually did crash and pass out, they continued. I even tried getting blind drunk. And while I don't remember having any vivid dreams or sleepwalking episodes, my bank account and transaction history begged to differ. I guess I was just too blackout drunk to remember, but it hadn't stopped me. Last night was the most surreal one yet. I went to this bench out at the park a couple of blocks away. When I got there, I reached beneath it. Obtaining the gun that I somehow knew would be there. That's when everything became fuzzy. I try and try to remember what else happened. But it's a blur of blue and scarlet. When I heard there had been a shooting that killed two people down the street from my place. I could see their faces in my mind. Before the police released the photos of the victims. They had been a couple out for a late night rendezvous, a man of average looks and build and his sweetheart, whose blue eyes burned holes into my soul, through the TV screen as they glared at me accusingly. For an instant, when their photos were on the screen, I remembered seeing those blue eyes looking at me pleading and full of fear and then a scarlet plume of blood as the bullet mangled her beautiful face beyond recognition. That was when the realization finally hit home for me. I did it. I killed that couple. Somehow in a nocturnal venture in my slumber I had murdered them I thought I was going crazy. That's not me. Not something I would ever in the slightest consider, much less actually do. A piece of me died that day. My innocence, I think. I did what any decent human being in my situation would do. I resolved to turn myself in. If somehow I was becoming some crazed maniac in my sleep, the smartest thing to do would be to turn myself in, lest I somehow manage to harm more innocent people. I went out for a good steak dinner, probably the last decent meal I'd ever get to eat before my last meal on death row someday. It was the most delicious meal I ever remember eating. I savored every little bite. Finished with my meal, I tipped several hundred dollars to my waitress. My last good deed that I knew would ever make up for the harm I had caused. The lives I had taken. I took a cab to the police station ready to own up and meet my fate. That's when I heard it, a voice echoing minutely in my ear. Don't do it, it said, and suddenly I found that I couldn't. I stood there for a long time, trying to take that step up to the door the voice repeating the command incessantly. It commanded and I obeyed. Its hooked tendrils were sunken deep and I was compelled to do as it said. That voice was familiar, I realized. It was the same voice that had greeted me when I opened my door that day. The same voice I heard after the surgical implant was unwillingly installed, trespassing in my brain. The same voice of the head of research and development. The friendly voice of Toxicorp. And that, dear listeners, is the end of more short, scary stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake and listening, I hope you have enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.